We have the best vaccine in the world, the best medicines, the best scientists, and we're learning more every single day. Concern, not panic over Omicron. It's Wednesday, December 1st, and this is VOA Asia. I'm Chris Cascale in Washington. Find us online at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, Taliban revenge attacks, fighting for historical justice, Uganda and China's airport deal questioned, Australia delays reopening, explaining COVID-19 vaccine science. It's all on today's VOA Asia. U.S. President Joe Biden says a highly transmissible COVID-19 variant, dubbed Omicron, is a cause for concern, not panic. VOA's Anita Powell has more from the White House. The enemy has a new name, and it is Omicron. The highly transmissible new coronavirus variant was first identified by South African scientists and named for the 15th letter of the Greek alphabet. President Joe Biden. This variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. We have the best vaccine in the world, the best medicines, the best scientists, and we're learning more every single day. And we'll fight this variant with scientific and and knowledgeable actions and speed, not chaos and confusion. Shortly after the new variant was announced, Biden imposed travel restrictions on several Southern African nations. That drew the immediate ire of South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. These restrictions are completely unjustified and unfairly discriminate against our country and our Southern African sister countries. The prohibition of travel is not informed by science, nor will it be effective in preventing the spread of this variant. But Biden argues that he's using the restrictions to buy time for more Americans to get vaccinated and take other preventive measures. The very day the World Health Organization identified the new variant, I took immediate steps to restrict travel from countries in Southern Africa. But while we have that travel restrictions can slow the speed of Omicron, it cannot prevent it. But here's what it does. It gives us time, gives us time to take more actions. Dr. Tyson Bell, an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Virginia, said there's a lot that scientists don't know about this new variant. For one, whether it's more dangerous. Without knowing that, he said, it's hard to know what the best course of action is. Both sides of this argument have good points. Um, I think that if you look at where uh, the virus has been isolated now, the Omicron variant, um, it's in many more countries now, several countries in Europe, and that includes people who do not have direct ties to Southern Africa or South Africa. And so I think the point that this seems discriminatory, you know, it, it does. The the, uh, the countries that are on the restricted list do not overlap with all the countries that have now have isolated cases. And so um, on the other end, I think that you know, the Biden administration, Dr. Fauci and others, they're trying to contain the spread and give and buy more time. President Biden urged unvaccinated Americans to get vaccinated and for the vaccinated to get booster shots if eligible. That's sound scientific advice, Dr. Bell said, and not just for Americans. This really should be a wake up call that we need to do as much as we can to get the global population vaccinated, because ultimately if more variants uh, are able to thrive because virus is circulating at high levels, you know, We have to fix that through effective vaccination and getting it out. As variants continue to pop up, doctors keep coming back to the same messages for everyone. Old, young, American, and otherwise. Mask, distance, and vaccinate. Anita Powell, VOA News, The White House. 
Find more on our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. We're also on Facebook, VOA Asia, and the VOANews.com website. These are among the top Asia headlines you'll find right now on VOANews.com. What does U.S. want from South Korea's presidential election? Japan confirms first case of new coronavirus variant. Myanmar court postpones verdict for ousted leader Su Chi. Pentagon says few changes to U.S. overseas military footprint. U.S. envoy on Afghanistan to return to Doha to meet Taliban. Find complete coverage on all these stories and more on Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram, Twitter, and on the VOANews.com website. Thank you for joining us on VOA Asia on this Wednesday. According to the group Human Rights Watch, the Taliban have carried out hundreds of summary executions and forced disappearances in a series of revenge attacks since seizing power in Afghanistan in August following the withdrawal of Western forces. Henry Ridgewell reports for VOA. New York-based Human Rights Watch says it has evidence that Taliban forces have killed or forcibly disappeared more than 100 former Afghan National Security Forces personnel in just four provinces where the group carried out its research. Patricia Gossman is co-author of the report. What they were targeting were the people they had fought with, um, and many of the cases we investigated were people really on the front lines, people who were known to the Taliban in particular localities. The human rights group says it gathered evidence from over 60 interviews with witnesses, relatives and Taliban officials. The killings and forced disappearances were documented in Ghazni, Helmand, Kandahar and Kunduz provinces, but the attacks have occurred across Afghanistan. That despite Taliban promises that they would not seek revenge after taking control of Afghanistan in late August. Again, Patricia Gossman. They offered an amnesty. They have claimed this from their senior officials in Kabul. But what we see on the ground is in fact it doesn't apply, at least for some people. Uh, They are deliberately going after people um, either based on personal relationships and enmities or because of the role they played. Researchers say the Taliban used employment records left behind by the former Afghan government to identify people for arrest and execution. Again, report co-author Patricia Gossman. What started out as a kind of rush maybe of initial revenge killings in the first weeks now seems to be much more deliberate too. It spread to other provinces and it seems part of a maybe a strategy to ensure that there isn't any opposition remobilizing against them. The Taliban said they have dismissed those responsible for abuses, but have not provided any further details or evidence. 
In a speech that aired on state media Saturday, Mullah Mohammed Hassan Akhund, the acting prime minister of the Taliban government, accused former government officials of stirring trouble. He said, nation, be vigilant. Those left over from the previous government in hiding are making remarks and causing anxiety, misleading the people to distrust their government. Human Rights Watch is calling for continued United Nations scrutiny and investigation of abuses committed by the Taliban. The United States, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund froze Afghan central bank assets worth $9.5 billion and blocked cash shipments to the country after the Taliban seized power. Aid agencies warn of an impending humanitarian disaster. With millions unpaid or out of work, basic services on the brink of collapse and many Afghans forced to flee their homes. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News, London. Still to come on VOA Asia, South Korean rights activists keep up their fight after Chun Doo-hwan's death. Happening now in Asia, the United States on Tuesday completed 10 days of joint military drills in Asian waters with Japan and other allies as it ups the ante on deterring China from pursuing its territorial ambitions amid growing tension in the region over Taiwan. Stay up to date with VOA, you're listening to VOA Asia. Continuing now with VOA Asia... Former South Korean military dictator Chun Doo-hwan died last week at his home at the age of 90. As Lee Hyun Choi reports for VOA, victims of his authoritarian regime and democracy activists are determined to continue the fight for historical justice even after his death. Chun Doo-hwan, an army general at the time, seized power in 1979 through a military coup. While Chun oversaw significant economic achievements during his rule, his legacy is marred by records of severe human rights violations. Chun is held to be responsible for one of the bloodiest massacres in modern South Korean history, the Gwangju Massacre. In May 1980, more than 15,000 students took to the streets of the southwestern city of Gwangju to call for the end of Chun's military dictatorship. When Chun's forces arrived in the city, local government figures showed that they killed more than 200 civilians, injured several thousand, and arrested more than 1,800 civilians. 41 years later, the military strongman died in his home in Seoul, leaving no apology behind. Now, families of victims and survivors of the Gwangju massacre are grappling with Chun's sudden death. Lee Gibong, who heads a civic group formed by victims of the Gwangju incident, says Chun's death did not resolve the trauma. He says that the criminals who wielded state violence lived long lives and died in wealth. Meanwhile, he says, the pain of Gwangju citizens continues. Though Jun's passing has left an open wound, many victims are determined to prevent his death from burying the truth of Gwangju. Lee Jae-ui participated in the uprising as a university student. He says it's regrettable Jun denied the massacre and his responsibility until the very end. But now, he says survivors must attend to the historical task of completing the fact-finding mission in order to tie up the loose ends without him. 
The crackdown still provokes political tension. Many of Chun's conservative followers defend the use of force. They allege, without evidence, that the protests in Gwangju were directed by North Korean infiltrators. Gwangju citizens often still face accusations they were communist spies threatening national security. Last month, conservative presidential candidate Yoon Seok-yeol came under criticism for praising Jun's political skills, aside from the coup and the events of May 1980. Yoon later visited Gwangju to apologize for his remark, but was blocked by protesters from entering the victim's altar. Instead, he delivered a silent tribute at the entrance. 이 전두환을 그 파장이나 자장이 지금도 여전히 큰 그림자를 남기고 있는 것이죠. Lee, the former Gwangju protester, says true healing and reconciliation will never be achieved while people continue to spread unfounded accusations. He says only when the shadows of Chun's influence are fully lifted from South Korean society will the country be able to make meaningful progress towards democracy. After Jun's death, about 70 victims of the Gwangju massacre filed a lawsuit against the government, alleging emotional trauma. It's further evidence that even though a dark chapter of South Korea's history has closed, much of the trauma remains unresolved. Lee Hyun Che for VOA News, Seoul. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook. VOA Asia is also on Twitter and YouTube. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, read, and share all the latest from VOA Asia anytime. VOA Asia is your trusted source for news, information, and great features. This news from VOA Asia. The arrest of Macau's junket mogul Alvin Chow is expected to shrink business in the world's largest gambling hub. China is cracking down on what it sees as a dangerous outflow of funds from the mainland. All the big stories come your way through the day on VOA Asia Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. Welcome back to VOA Asia. Ugandan officials are rejecting reports that China could take control of the country's only international airport because of a failure to honor a loan agreement. Halima Atamani reports from Kampala. Local media reports had indicated that Uganda risked losing its only international airport to China over a $200 million loan to expand the facility. According to documents shared with local media, China rejected Uganda's request to renegotiate some clauses in the 2015 loan deal. This included a clause that required Uganda's Civil Aviation Authority to set up an escrow account to hold all of its revenues. Under the clause, the revenues in this account cannot be spent by the Aviation Authority without approval from Beijing. Viani Luja, the Uganda Civil Aviation Authority spokesperson, told VOA that the Ugandan government has no intention of defaulting on loan repayments to China. It is not true that Uganda is going to lose the entire international airport in any way whatsoever. This is not the first time that this allegation is coming up. Uganda is not about to default in honoring the loan obligations. We are still within a grace period of seven years, and during that period, we have been paying interest. 
The loan agreement also gives China's Export-Import Bank oversight over monthly operating budgets for the airport. The bank is also authorized to inspect both the Aviation Authority and Ugandan government books of accounts, which some see as eroding the sovereignty of the state. When VOA contacted the Chinese embassy in Uganda, they said they were not in position to comment and referred VOA to a statement they issued Sunday. In the statement, the embassy said the loan agreement between China Exim Bank and Uganda was signed voluntarily through dialogue and negotiation on equal footing without any hidden terms or political conditions attached. They said China-Uganda economic and trade cooperation and financing in the field of large-scale infrastructure follows the principle of equality and mutual benefit and has been conducted in accordance with the laws and rules of the international market and strictly abided by the laws of the host country. Economic analyst Fred Muhumze explains that technically any loan received from an exim bank is not treated as a loan but as an export, thus making it difficult to renegotiate. Muhumze says it is time for the government and its lawyers to re-examine how it handles its agreements with donors. These loans are reviewed by Solicitor General's office, who are the lawyers, it also indicates in case of arbitration, we go to China. So you really are the mass of China. They have an upper hand on this. Uganda currently owes China $1.6 billion in loans extended to the East African country for financing of major infrastructure development projects. In a 2018 report, Uganda's Auditor General raised concern that Uganda had agreed to several stringent conditions in the loans. And these had not only increased the cost of borrowing, but also exposed Uganda's sovereignty to risk. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. Making headlines in Asia, India's economic recovery strengthened in the July to September quarter on stronger consumer spending, though the emergence of the Omicron coronavirus variant has raised fears for the future. Gross domestic product expanded 8.4% from a year earlier, the fastest pace among major economies. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. So glad you could join us on VOA Asia. Business groups in Australia are supporting a two-week delay in reopening the international border to skilled workers and students because of the Omicron variant. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. Australia has changed its plan to allow fully vaccinated skilled migrants, backpackers and international students into the country beginning December 1. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said there would be a two-week delay because of the spread of the Omicron COVID-19 variant. Several infections have been detected in travellers returning to Australia. The World Health Organization has declared Omicron a variant of concern. Business groups have been calling for Australia, which closed its borders to most foreign nationals in March 2020, to allow in migrant workers to ease chronic skill shortages. The Business Council of Australia, which represents the sector, supports the decision to force migrants and students to wait while Australia assesses the threat posed by the new coronavirus variant. But its chief executive, Jennifer Westacott, says that plans to reopen Australia's internal borders must go ahead. 
We've got to stay the course on reopening the domestic economy. We've got to make sure that we get those borders open in the time frame that was suggested, that we don't go back into lockdowns, that we don't go back into statewide lockdowns. Internal travel between some jurisdictions in Australia remains restricted. Western Australia, which currently has just three active COVID-19 cases, has imposed some of the toughest controls on visitors from other states and territories. Australia has recorded about 210,000 COVID-19 infections since the start of the pandemic. 2,000 people have died. About 87% of the eligible population is fully vaccinated and health authorities are recommending booster shots. The Business Council of Australia has called for a concerted international effort to distribute COVID-19 vaccines to developing countries where inoculation rates are low. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. Finally on VOA Asia... At least 5 million people have had their lives cut short by COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. The best defense against this virus is a vaccine. And since the outbreak of the pandemic, scientists have focused on developing them. VOA's Carol Pearson explains some of the different approaches to making effective vaccines. Some people think if you get sick after being vaccinated, the vaccine has failed. But that's not true. The goal of vaccination is to reduce the severity of disease in almost all vaccines in use and not to prevent infection entirely. Several studies show the chances of being hospitalized or dying from COVID-19 are severely reduced for people who are vaccinated. The oldest vaccine-making methods use either a live virus or a dead one to spark an immune response. Different polio vaccines have used both. Three COVID-19 vaccines use weakened adenoviruses, which are viruses that cause colds. The Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine uses a chimpanzee adenovirus that has been weakened so it can't make people sick. Sputnik V and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine use weakened human adenoviruses that can cause colds. The American Society for Gene and Cell Therapy explains how scientists make these vaccines. Scientists removed the gene from the coronavirus's spike protein and put it into the adenoviruses. They also removed the gene in the adenovirus that can cause illness. Think of the adenovirus as an envelope with a message inside. The message tells the cells to make the spike protein. The body makes antibodies to defend itself. If it sees the spike protein again, the body is prepared to attack. You don't just mount an immune response to the adenovirus, but you also mount the immune response to the protein that it encodes, that spike protein that is part of the virus causing COVID. Both Johnson & Johnson and Sputnik V's first doses are made with a rare human adenovirus, AD25. Johnson & Johnson used to be considered a one-dose vaccine, but in October, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's advisory board recommended that a booster be used to increase its effectiveness. The second dose of Sputnik V contains AD5, an adenovirus people are frequently exposed to. Scientists are concerned that Sputnik V doesn't offer enough protection against COVID-19. 
There are other ways to make vaccines that do not use viruses or bacteria, what scientists call pathogens, that could cause disease. The latest method involves messenger RNA vaccines, or mRNA vaccines, which are produced by Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech. They use techniques to trick the immune system into seeing, thinking it's seeing a pathogen without actually providing most of or all of the pathogen. The side effects can include mild soreness, muscle pain, and fatigue. Cox says it's not surprising that researchers could develop mRNA vaccines against COVID-19 so quickly. COVID-19 isn't the first attempt at using this technology. These vaccines could be developed very rapidly because they had been testing vaccines using this strategy against other pathogens. Just drop your shoulder for me, relax. Yeah. There's an advantage of having so many vaccines against COVID-19. Oh, sorry. The whole world needs to be vaccinated. Another advantage is that scientists might be able to figure out which vaccines work best for different people. Carol Pearson, VOA News. That's all for VOA Asia. Find us on Facebook, VOA Asia, on Twitter at VOA Asia, and on Instagram, YouTube, and at VOANews.com. Thanks to our service chief, Diane Gal, and team of Jim Stevenson, Keith Lane, and Jessica Snow. I'm Chris Casco in Washington. Bye now.